I'm glad you guys show up every week. I don't know about you guys, but the Word of God is pretty darn cool. And some of you guys reached out this last week in light of Romans 14. If you missed study last week, please go back online and catch it. But some of you guys reached out this week, and you were very convicted last week by the Lord, okay? There's a reason why I don't stand up here and pound the pulpit, okay? Do you guys know that for us as believers, conviction is a good thing? But conviction from the Holy Spirit is what's needed, it does, again, in light of Romans 14 last week, it doesn't matter what my opinions are. What matters is what does God think, okay? And as we align our thinking according to his thinking, according to what his word is going to say, there's going to be a conviction. And for us who really love the Lord and I think are led by his spirit, we invite that conviction, don't we? Because we want to be challenged. We want to grow. We want to think like Jesus thinks. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I read the Bible, it's almost daily that I find myself reading in the scripture like, whoa, (laughs) I know this scripture. I've read it before. (laughs) And it's true. It's right. It's good. It's your word. Why am I so messed up? How did my thinking go so wrong again? And I think that's why we're called to renew our minds constantly, to set our mind on those things that are above. And that's why it's beautiful to come to the word of God and be open to what it says. Because some of us just cruise through like, oh, I don't want to hear that right now, Lord. You know, I I don't want to deal with that part of my life or I don't want to do that part of your word right now. I'm, I'm too busy in this season. But I think it's really good for us to be open to what the Lord has And that's my prayer this morning as we jump into chapter 15 here because it really is a continuation of where we were last week in chapter 14. So how many of you guys are familiar with Philip Brooks? He's not a country singer. Sounds like a country singer's name, doesn't it? He's a great preacher. Back in 1868, he wrote a little song called O Little Town of Bethlehem, right? Well, I read a quote by him this week, and I loved it. It said, one, he was once asked, uh, an operator of the local livery stable, for the best horse that they had. And he said, I'm taking my wife for a ride, and I want it to be the very best of occasions. The livery man hitched up the buggy and let out a horse and said, Dr. Brooks, the animal is a perf- or perfect as a horse as you, as you could get. It's kind, it's gentle, intelligent, well-trained, obedient, willing, responds instantly to your command, never kicks, balks, or bites, and lives only to please its driver. The doctor listened to it all, and then he whispered to the owner, do you suppose you could get that horse to join my church? I liked that. We're going to continue this morning this discussion here from Romans 14 regarding strong and weak Christians. And again, guys, we are not to say, oh, you're weak. Shame on you. No, we are the body of Christ. Some of us are new in the Lord and we're growing. And each one of us at our different place in our walk at a different place in our maturity in Christ. 
to be honest, some of you are newer in the Lord and you're more mature than some of your brothers and sisters who've been in him for quite a while. And this is the thing I love about Christianity. It's on us to grow. The Holy Spirit is at work. But are we willing to yield and to surrender to him and say, yeah, Father, I want to grow. Because some of us are not willing to surrender, are we? How many of us pray, Lord, make me more like you, Jesus. I want to be more like you. Can you change me to be more like you? How many of us pray that as Christians? I think most of us do. But then the Lord (laughs) says, all right, you want to change? You want to be like me? (laughs) Die. Serve. Love others. Oh, that's not what I meant, Lord, (laughs) right? It's on us. Are we willing to surrender, to obey, to humble ourselves? And I think that really is the key within the body of Christ, no matter where we're at in our walk with the Lord. Because God desires a unity to be in his body. Okay? And that takes surrender to him. Surrender. Surrendering our rights, maybe. Our opinions. Our thoughts. And saying, no, (laughs) this is your heart. Your heart is to die to self. To love. So I'm very excited this morning where... The Lord takes us here in Romans 15. So we're going to move from don't despise other Christians and their liberties or their lack of those great issues that we spoke about and don't hinder their conduct to now in the positive. I love the turn that this takes for us in chapter 15 because really, hey, an exhortation to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And that's why I entitled this morning's message, The Hope in the example of Jesus, okay? How many of you guys used to have one of those bracelets, WWJD? Those were super popular for the longest time. All right, guys, if we remember back, okay, to Genesis chapter 4, and it wasn't that long ago, earlier this year, we looked and we learned about a man named Cain. You guys remember there in Genesis chapter 4, okay? And when asked, where his brother Abel was, okay? Cain was very careless, okay? He was a careless worshiper. He was an angry man, an angry son. He was a murderer. He was a ruthless wanderer, okay? Um, So knowing this part of the Genesis record of history, it would really be safe that sometimes um, we we don't, we, we can learn from people, even if they're completely wrong, <laughs> we just do what? The opposite of what they do. And I think when it comes to a man like Cain, we can learn, hey, that's what I shouldn't do. You see, he was asked the question, you know, where's your brother? You know, and he said, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> what are you talking about, right? The world says, am I my brother's keeper? That's the world's mentality. Is that my responsibility? Am I supposed to care? Should I know? But we should say, guys, I am my brother's keeper. I do care. I am concerned for them. So I think this morning, guys, we need to really ask the Lord to teach us how to care for others, to care for them 
as our kinsmen, both in this life and in the next. Do you guys care about your fellow man? Do you care how they're doing? I love, I love it. I love seeing the body of Christ step up and do what we're called to do. We hear of these devastating tornadoes that took place last week. Do you guys know how many believers are on site and being present right now? Okay, just being there to come alongside, to give people who lost everything just a hug, a listening ear, someone just to pray with, okay? Churches from all over the states are sending stuff to help, relief efforts. It's beautiful. That's cool, you know? And that's one of those things. Are we concerned? Do we care? I sure hope so. I was so encouraged this last week. My son, uh, Uriah, my oldest, we pray every morning on the way to school together as a family. And when we heard about the missionaries down in Haiti, did you guys hear about the 17 uh, that were taken by a gang? They were taken hostage, okay, kidnapped. Um, and we heard a couple weeks back that they released five of them, you know, and it's like so cool. But every day since we first heard that news weeks ago, every day Uriah's been praying for those missionaries in Haiti. Every day, just consistently, faithfully. Well, they get released this last week, and every day since they've been released, here is my son praising God. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> that they've been released. You know, and it's one of those things. Do we care about our fellow man? Am I my brother's keeper? Are we concerned about those things? And we should be, because that's really the heart of God. Do you guys know that he cares for all people? He desires none to perish. That's in the heart of our God. And if we are praying, God, make me more like you, that's going to mean we're going to have a heart also like him. We're going to care about the things he cares about. And part of what he cares about is unity, especially within the body of Christ. So let's take a look at Romans 15 together here. Verse 1. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before, they were written for our learning that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you guys see that according to God's word that there's an importance to unity? Okay, it was Jesus's, it was on his mind right before he's about to go to the cross, right? Check this out in John chapter 17. You guys can go and read the entire prayer that Jesus prayed there later today. But this was right, right before he was about to be arrested and then taken to be crucified, okay? As he was preparing to die, he's with the Father. And this is his prayer in John 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not pray for these alone, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, okay? That would be you and I, brother and sister, those who will believe upon Jesus. Yeah, that's us. We believe upon him. So what is his prayer for us then? That they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow. The world may know by the unity, the oneness of my children. So are you making this come true? Are you making it happen? Are you making this come come to pass so that's what we really need to ask because you have your part and we have our part it takes all of us for this prayer to happen so we ask Jesus hey why won't you answer my prayer I think Jesus asks, why don't you answer my prayer pastor you're being a little dramatic this morning <laughs> is unity really a big deal is it really that important how many of you guys have seen some division within the body of Christ, within his church, just in the last six months? All right, we all have, okay? Unless you're living in a shelter somewhere. <laughs> it's all, we like disputing doctrine, okay, with each other rather than really gathering together around the cross, okay? Are you a believer? Great. Don't we have an awesome has he been so compassionate? Is he so kind? Can you believe how our Heavenly Father loves us? Man, isn't he good? Let's worship together. But don't we have a tendency, oh, where do you go to? What denomination are you? Hey, what do you think about this scripture? What's your take on baptism? Aren't we really good at doing that? Yeah. Our obligation. Let's break this down a little bit this morning. Look at verse 1 and 2 here, guys. You see, it tells us that the strong must bear with the weak and help them grow. And guys, that's going to take love, and that's going to take patience, okay? Um, and remember, guys, strength is for service. It's not for status, okay? You want to do great exploits for the Lord? <laughs> Serve well, Serve the least of these, my brethren. Bear. Watch for it. Did you guys see the bear? <laughs> Just to give you guys a heads up, we're going to be doing some new men's ministry this next year, and I'm thinking about using a bear as our mascot, okay? Because I looked in the scriptures this last week, there are over 100 references to bear in the word of God, okay? Bearing with one another's and their burdens, right? We're called to bear much fruit. There's just so many cool bear themes, and I think for us men, it's going to be cool. Anyways, uh, but anyways, here, the bear, okay, it's not just putting up with them or tolerating them. It means to personally shoulder their burdens, okay, as if it were our own. Do you see a brother or sister in need going through it? Do you care enough to come alongside? Hey, I'm going to bear this burden with you, okay? I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be praying with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be lifting up your arms, okay? I'll wash your feet if needed, what's needed. 
So why should we do this, guys? I'm glad you asked. Because we love them enough to want to help them towards maturity, towards their highest good. And we need to stay close enough to them to be able to reach out and to give them a little bit of studying that they need in their walk. You probably uh, did that when you taught your kid to ride a bike. Do you guys remember when they were that little? Okay, learning to ride a bike for the first time. That's kind of scary as a parent, right? We don't like bloody knees. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but you'd first come alongside him or her, okay, uh, to help them learn to ride. Then as they begin to learn, there's that balancing act that goes on. That's the weirdest thing for a little kid to learn. And you keep a hand there, a light touch, just to help them balance, okay? And you correct them so they wouldn't fall. Then you ran alongside them as they gained confidence in staying upright. Then you stood and watched and cheered, and then you'd clean up along the way, some cuts here and there. Um, But as you watched them, then right on their own, (laughs) you get so excited, right? Because you're seeing your child, they are competent. They are doing it, okay? They're becoming stronger on their own, and you helped. It's the coolest thing. Hey, David, could you turn on the, the, the computer sound? I'm going to share a clip with you guys um, just because I love my kids. And I like to show them off. This, this is my finster here, learning to ride. See what you're doing. This is Jacob. See what you're doing. Are you going to try to ride a bike for the first time? Yeah. All right, ready? No training wheels, by the way. Look at, look at, look at, none, none, none. All right, here we go, here we go. Okay, I'm gonna push. You pedal. You pedal. Where'd it go? Keep pedal. Keep pedal. Keep going. There we go, buddy. Oh, man. You go. Boom. Good job. Was that fun? <laughs> Doesn't get much better than that as a parent. But that's how I often feel when I'm able to come alongside another person who's struggling in life, having a hard time figuring it out. Let me lend you a hand. God's got good for you in view. Okay? He's got you. He's calling you to this. This is what life's about. And just to come alongside and to love and to serve them. Okay? Maybe just put an arm around them. to walk with them for a season until they grow up and they're stable enough to go on their own. There's nothing better than that. And that's why I think we're called to discipleship as believers because isn't that what we're doing? You know, coming alongside others, teaching them. A lot of times we think, well, spiritually speaking, for this unity to happen within the body of Christ, They need to be evangelized first. They need to get saved first. No, God said go make disciples of all nations. We come alongside the unbeliever. We love, we serve them, we disciple, we teach them all the things that Jesus said. And then hopefully along that process, guys, faith becomes their own. They're doing it on their own. And we get to walk with them in those seasons. When Finn first started writing, I was still right next to him the first little while. (laughs) 
And then I would go and just sit on the porch and just watch him out front, back and forth, because, hey, you know, want to make sure he actually stops before the road, right? (laughs) But then it got to a point, hey, you got it, son. Go have, you want to ride your bike? Go for it. Have fun. I'm going to stay in here and do my thing. You go outside and have fun. Okay. And that's how we get to do it. Which brings us to our next point, um, is our example. Look at verse 3 here. Verse 3, to really live out our lives, okay, to really please uh, ourselves, guys, we're not going to follow the example of Christ. If we make it about us, my pleasure, me, my comforts, um, we're to live for the Lord, our Heavenly Father, and others. Can you guys catch, please came up three times, okay? So Jesus didn't come to gratify self, but to give self. And if we are followers of Jesus, if he is to be our example, that's what he did. So Christ didn't regard his equality with God as something to be used for his own pleasure. He didn't come as reigning sovereign, which he could have, okay, because he is God, he is sovereign, but he came to sacrifice, didn't he? He came to lay down his life for others. He died that we may live. So, the second part of verse 3 comes from Psalm 69, verse 9. Not only did Christ give up his robes of deity and his very life, but he even sacrificed his innocence in exchange for our guilt. For he who had no sin became sin for us, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So I suppose we could sacrifice a few of our own freedoms to bring another believer to greater freedoms. You guys see what God is trying to communicate to us? Which brings us now to our motivation in verse 4. And it tells us here, for whatever things were written before, they were for our learning. That through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Do you guys enjoy the word of God? I sure do. Because they do bring us hope. That's where truth is found. And there's something (laughs) that takes place when we are just diligently seeking the Lord through his word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know? Love talking with you, sister, right before service. She's just loving this verse by verse, just going through the Bible here at Freedom. Second time here with us. She's been watching online, taking in the word of God. And there is something for the believer. The word just works in us. It effectively, as Thessalonians tells us, it effectively works in those who believe. So if you're a believer, let's not take God's word for granted. Let it allow to work in our lives in such a way because that's where we find motivation from. And since here, Paul, let's think through this together, okay? He's quoting Old Testament. He briefly con, you know, comments here about its nature and its purpose. So like Paul, guys, we too can look for truth and guidance from the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it's relevant in the modern world. Okay? Hey, the Old Testament, that's not for us. Okay? 
we're believers in Jesus, New Testament. <laughs> no, Paul's saying here, he's referring to the Old Testament, okay? And it really does speak to our deepest needs. It encourages us. So by reading God's word, we get to learn about God's attributes. We get to learn about his character. So we're reading biographies in the scriptures of the saints who've gone before us, guys. We're going to find different ways to overcome real-life obstacles, okay, by direct scriptures that really call for us to endure, okay, to speak encouragement. It also gives us hope, as we're told here. So God has promised us a wonderful future. The Old Testament underlines, it highlights, and it illustrates for you and I, guys, promise after promise after promise. And the big promise in the scripture, there is redemption. There is a redeemer coming. <laughs> it all points to the volume of the book, points to Jesus Christ. I so love that we're about to wrap up Romans. We got to do Genesis also this last year. New and old together. It's been good. It's the first time we've done that together as a church on Sunday mornings where we're flip-flopping Old and New Testament. And beginning this next year, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go through Exodus and 1 Corinthians. And so many of you guys have said, I've so enjoyed this. This has been so good because we find hope in the word of God. It doesn't matter where you are in the scriptures. It's all there for our learning. Okay, we can grow through the word of God. So let's take a look at our application then in verse 5 and 6. Jesus Christ, according to verse 5, is our example. Okay, he's our model for our Christian conduct. So check out all other deities that were out there, even of this day. You had the Syrians, Babylonians, Phoenicians, Egyptians, Persians, Greeks, Romans. You know, you can go to their holy books and you can read the things that they believed but in all those other books, none of them calls God by being sympathetic or attractive names is what we actually get to see in the scriptures. I mean, consider like the New Testament, how they laid out for you and I that he's a God of all comfort. What? That's pretty cool. God of compassion. God of consolation, God of patience, God of peace, God of grace, God of glory, the God of hope. You find that in no other gods, no other religious writings. I think that's pretty darn cool that the one and true living God is distinctly different from them all, and he's super cool, right? So look at verse 6, okay? This call to have one mind, one mouth. Someone said, of General uh, Eisenhower. It's great how you were able to coordinate all the teams in this great enterprise. Of course, as speaking to World War II, the general quickly corrected him. Not teams, he said, but team. One team, guys. So how can we be united? How many churches are there? One church. That's what God says. One church. It doesn't matter what denomination are you are. If you personally put your faith in Christ Jesus, you're born again in the Spirit, and you're part of his one church, right? One team. So how can we be like-minded, one-minded, one-mouthed? Does it mean we as Christians should never disagree? I like what Ruth Graham 
uh, Graham's philosophy was when she said regarding marriage, if two people agree on everything, one of them isn't needed. You see, guys, it's not about agreeing on everything or coming to the same conclusions. And obviously, guys, we discussed that at length last week in Romans 14, okay? But here, he is looking for a unity of perspective to think as Christ thinks. That's what matters, okay? And I think that's where we really need the purpose to come to get, what does Jesus say on this? What is his heart? What does he think? Because that's where we're going to find the unity, correct? So, unity produces a symphony of praise to God. It is beautiful before him. You see, in a choir, there are those that are an alto, some are sopranos, some are tenors, some are baritones, and then you have the basses, right? <laughs> okay. And there's different parts, there's different pitches, but beautiful harmony, isn't it? Beautiful. And all are following the same choir director. And in orchestra, some play different instruments. Some play a French horn, some will play a flute, some a clarinet, some a baritone. My sons play violin, okay? Um, Maybe some of you guys played the trombone. I thought those were pretty cool. Anyways, different parts, different sounds, but the same song, all following the conductor. So the body of Christ is no different, guys. I want us to remember before an orchestra plays, each musician must tune his own individual instrument. Are you in tune? That's on you. Are you in tune? Because if you're not in tune, who's going to stick out? Sounding gong over there. That's horrible. Some of you are a sounding gong and need to knock it off. Take a break. Fix your instrument. Get in tune. That's our part. And then we all follow the conductor. And that is beautiful. That is what the world is going to see when they look at the body of Christ. There's a unity. And they will know that he is alive. The second part of verse 6 here says, one mouth, okay? One voice glorifying God. So what, what a goal we have as the church. I think of the smile on the conductor's face at the end of a piece. You guys know... They're doing their thing, all excited. You know, you can't see what's going on on their face. They're all making sure everybody's doing their thing. But it's so cool when they finally turn around after the song's done. And if they have a huge smile on their face, you're just like, whoa, they did it. (laughs) They pulled it off. It was in unity. It was harmonious. It was beautiful. It was well played. Big old smile, and then he bows. That's what I want to say for our God. That man, he can turn to the world that's watching. Big smile, yeah. These are my kids. Didn't they do a great job? I want to see our dad smiling, guys. And how does that happen? It's by thinking biblically. It's having the mind of Christ. It's doing the word of God. Okay? There's enough division in the church, guys. We at Freedom are not going to do that. 
We're not going to play that game. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to do it his way. And as a result, what happens, guys? We have an example. Take a look here at verse 7 with me. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision of the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Wow, guys. First of all, in verse 7, to receive or to accept one another. We got, we got to hit on this first, okay? So this is really to open up our, our arms and our hearts to others, okay? To value the individual so much that he or she experiences really the warmth of belonging. The second part of verse 7, this is the standard by which acceptance is to be measured. Just as Christ Jesus received you. I know when he received me, I was flawed. Mess, but how does he receive me? In his eyes, <laughs> you're forgiven. <laughs> you're flawless, okay? You're perfect in my eyes. But of course, I know that's not true. <laughs> I'm a sinner. <laughs> I am flawed. I'm, I'm dirty. So I think, guys, when it comes to accepting others as Christ received them, guys, we need to see as Jesus sees. So when we trusted in Christ, guys, man, he accepted us forgiven, right? As having a promise. You have a promise of eternal life. You've been given a promise of adoption. You are now in my family. You're royalty, okay? You're part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is your king. It's beautiful. So we had to accept being accepted even though we were unacceptable. So we must accept one another though we may see things in others that are unacceptable. I love Matthew 25. When did I see you? Thirsty, hungry. When did I see you in prison? What does Jesus say? Yeah. When you've done it unto the least of these, the least, the outcasts, you've done it unto me. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. We, and I'm not speaking specifically to you guys in the church here because I think a lot of you guys really get it. I see your heart. I pray with you. I see your service for those who are the outcasts, the unacceptable. But here in the Fox Valley, I don't know if you guys know this or not, 
Um, I've gotten to travel a lot of the world. I've been around a lot of the United States. We have it pretty good in the Fox Valley. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Pretty good people. Um, And with a lot of good people comes a lot of self-righteousness. I'm going to get real with you guys for a minute. Um, When I graduated from Bible college, I really wanted to be on the mission field. I got to see God do a lot of neat things. People were coming to faith every single day that we were going out and preaching the gospel. It was fun. People saw their need of the Lord, okay? And God spoke to me, I want you to go back home. And he gave me some promises that were attached with that. But that was one of the hardest times I've ever wept in my life. Because growing up here in the Fox Valley, very blessed to live here, a good place to raise a family, a lot of good people, good neighbors. My heart was broken. And I argued with my Heavenly Father. They are so self-righteous, they don't care about you. Nobody wants you. That was my heart before the Lord. It's changed quite a bit over the years because he's kind of opened my eyes to know that's not everybody. You're very judgmental, son. (laughs) Um, But there is some truth to that because there would be many times going out on the streets and sharing the gospel with many, many people. No, I'm good. I'm a good person. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm Catholic. I go to church over here. I go to Mass. I'm all right. Nobody wanted to talk about Jesus. Nobody wanted to hear the gospel. That was very, very hard. But you continue to accept. You continue to love. And in loving people, guys, among a people who seem to have it all together, who are self-righteous, it's going to be lovingly accepting, being relational, and maybe going to the outcasts that are among us. Well, we have it all together here in the Fox Valley, right? No, we need to open our eyes. I don't know how many people I've talked to years ago. Um, What are we going to do with the homeless people right here in our own backyard? What are you talking about? (laughs) We don't have homeless people here. We got homeless people right here. It's almost weekly. It's gotten cold. The shelters are full. I talk to many people. I'm living in my car right now. I have nowhere to be. The prisoner has got to have a heart for the incarcerated. He does. We don't. Being the chaplain at our county jail for five years, I reached out to over 200 churches locally to be a part of that ministry. Come to the prisoner. It's a part of God's heart. Read it right here in Matthew 25. This is what we should be doing. I had pastors literally tell me, well, there's no hope for them. They're getting what they deserve. That's our faith leaders. Or is there really a need there? How much good can we really do? Those people have chosen to reject God and 
live that type of lifestyle. You guys know that when I was up in the jail, we had almost a third of the population coming to Bible studies, meeting with one-on-one volunteers. We had over 50 volunteers coming in to do one-on-ones because these brothers and sisters got the heart of God. That God cares for the one. Those society might say, hey, lock them up and throw away the key. That's not the heart of our God. We'll go. And it's crazy, just a few blocks from where I grew up in the Fox Valley, there is our county jail that houses over 500 inmates. I had no clue it was right there. I knew it was a big building. I didn't even know that was our jail. But there are 500 souls that Jesus loves that he died for. Are we going to care? Are we going to go? How about when they get out of jail? Are we going to love? Sorry, I'm off track. (laughs) But the point is, the scriptures, guys, we need to love. And yes, we are very blessed to live in the Fox Valley. We have things pretty good. But there are 250,000 people that live in this valley that God very much loves. Even the one that has it all together, gaining the whole world, is going to lose their soul without Jesus Christ. So I don't care who your neighbor is. Some of you guys live in the ghetto of the Fox Valley. (laughs) You got ministry right there across the street. Some of you guys live in richer areas. Great. Your neighbors need Jesus also. We're all poor. We're all broken. We're all needy. And God has a heart for all people. So it is our job, guys, to come and to love and to receive. Um, One man was asked, are you associating with that brother who's in error? To which he replied, that's the only brothers I have. None of us have it all together, guys. None of us. So let's receive one another. Did you guys catch that? Receive one another. I know you guys are all Greek scholars and already know that this is in the present imperative here, which means, hey, we keep accepting. We keep receiving. But I was serving them, loving them, giving to them. And they just kept taking, and then they just rejected it. Threw it back in my face, maybe. Great. (laughs) Keep loving them. Keep receiving them. Okay? Aren't you guys glad that God hasn't given up on us? You know? Like, like. How many of us, when we came to faith, like, hey, (laughs) born again, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and like two seconds later, we're sinning again, right? (laughs) Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on us, that he keeps receiving us? I sure am. I sure am. So receive one another. How? I'm glad you guys asked. Greet those who normally don't talk to you. Right? Isn't it weird just taking a walk around your neighborhood? See someone coming down the sidewalk, and you're just like, am I allowed to look at them? <laughs> eye contact, can we do it right now? Can we, can we make some eye contact? Am I allowed to say hello? Are they going to say hi back? Is their head down? <laughs> we as Christians, guys, I think we need to make a point of going over and above to putting ourselves out there, to engaging with people that we don't normally talk Two. Okay? I know that's not a comfortable thing for a lot of us, but we need to. I even see it here at church. You know, like we have visitors almost every week. You know, I think it's cool that God just keeps bringing people 
here to freedom. But you guys remember when you first came to the new church? Maybe you've never even been to church before and I'm going to church. Isn't that like one of the most overwhelming, scary things to do? And isn't it cool when you show up and you have somebody come up, shake your hand, just say, hey, glad you're here. Welcome, you know? Who are you? I care about you. Let's do that as a church family. Make a point. Don't expect others to do it. Let's just love each other, accept each other. And not just here, out there too. So minimize differences, seek common ground for us as Christians in fellowship, okay? Um, Some trip out and say, hey, the fellowship isn't there for me. I get to hear that as a pastor. (laughs) But I often ask, are you there for the fellowship? Okay, are you there for the fellowship? Of course you don't know anybody. Of course you're not in fellowship. Do you show up for men's prayer? Do you hang out after church? Do you gather together? We gotta make ourselves available because what happens when we just show up? It's natural to start loving each other, being able to care for one another. So Christ's example here, this unifying spirit, okay? You guys catch the big picture? The Jews and the Gentiles are brought together. Man, if God could do that, (laughs) he can do anything. So together is one body. It's beautiful. Now that brings us now to verse 12 that speaks of praise, right? What I want us to catch, this is super cool because these quotations here are taken from three different divisions from the Old Testament, okay? I'm going to geek out a little bit. This is the stuff that I get really thrilled about when I dive in and study the scriptures, okay? We have the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, and they're all quoted from these three different divisions. David, in a song, he vowed praise to God among the Gentiles. You see that there in verse 9, and that was from Psalm 18, verse 49, and also Samuel 22:50. And then we have the law, Moses, okay? He sang that great hymn of victory over Pharaoh in Deuteronomy verse 32, 43. And that's verse 10 for us. And then we have the psalmist called the Gentiles to lift their voices to God. Okay, that's verse 11. And that was from Psalm 117, verse 1, which you guys know that's the shortest psalm in the Bible. Get this, Gentiles are going to praise the living God. How rad, huh? Um, And then we have the prophet Isaiah. He shares this messianic prophecy of the Messiah coming as a shoot springing up from the stump of David's family in verse 12. And he prophesied that back in Isaiah 11, verse 10. And no less than five different Greek words, guys, of praise are used in three brief words. Old Testament quotes here reminding us how significant praise is to our God. Do you guys see how important this is? This is what we're to be about. That's what we get to do together is the body of Christ is praise the living God. You guys know I love Revelation. And we see in the book of Revelation, guys, no one praised the Lord solo. Check me on it. Study it. Four living creatures sang together. The 24 elders praised God together. A multitude of angels 
multitude praising the Lord. And we also read all creatures in heaven there together praising Jesus. Isn't that cool? That's what we're creating. Wouldn't it be cool if the church of the valley would actually get together and praise the Lord? Okay? We don't go to huge concerts that often, but man, this summer we got to go worship with David Crowder. I like David Crowder because a lot of his music is worship, right? It's praising the Lord. And I'm there with my family. We had been listening to his new album, Milk and Honey, all summer long. We knew the songs. We got to go and worship. And the coolest part of worshiping the Lord there with David that day, thousands of people, brothers and sisters from all over the valley, all over the state, probably out of state, came to the festival. And I'm just like, man, this is like a little glimpse of heaven. This is what we've been created to do. It doesn't matter who's leading worship. The point is we are the people of God and we're praising God together. I didn't say, yo, David, pause for a minute, bro. I don't know these people over here. Hey, where you come from? What denomination are you? Are you really born again? (laughs) The people of God praise the Lord. And isn't it good just to praise the Lord together? I mean, how many of you guys came in this morning wondering like, ooh, do they really know the Lord? Are they really allowed to sing praises to him? We just get to praise the Lord, guys. That's what we've been created to do. So Spurgeon said this. If someone asked what we want the church to be, we would be pretty close to right if we said that we wanted it to be a choir. We should be anxious to build lives, belonging to Jesus, which harmonize with each other in praise to God. Wow. Pretty simply put, but kind of spot on. Are we all doing our part? Are we praising him together? And then one of my favorite verses in all of Romans, verse 13 here, guys, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know that hope here? It's a confident expectation. Our hope in Christ is not wishful thinking. I really hope Jesus was the Savior of the world, and I hope my sins are forgiven, and I hope I get to go to heaven when I die. No, it's true. We have a confident hope in Christ Jesus. It is sure. It's not wishful thinking. It is a confident thing. So this one who has this confident assurance about the future. So there's this natural hope and there's a spiritual hope. Natural hope, you guys can grab your dictionary when you get home. It's a feeling of expectation. I know we like to base things off how we feel, but don't our feelings change? Let's be honest. Just because we feel this way doesn't make it true because I might feel this way tomorrow. I love what the scriptures say when it talks about spiritual hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Yeah, it's worth fireworks. This hope we have is an anchor of our soul. Is that not a cool scripture? Anchored in this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. 
And hope overflows with what? I'm glad you guys asked. Joy and peace. Our hope is confident, and for the Christian, there is joy and there is peace. So there are also the first things to flee when we lose hope. Right? I'm feeling hopeless. I don't have peace with God anymore. My joy is gone. And that's where we need to stand, not upon a feeling, but upon biblical truth. This is where I stand. Okay? Last few weeks have been kind of rough, emotionally, feeling-wise for me. Okay? And I can tell because I don't want to get out of bed. You guys ever have those mornings where you just want to sleep? <laughs> I just want to sleep in today. But it's one of those things, nope. <laughs> My hope is sure. There are things that Jesus is up to today. There are things that he wants me to be a part of in what he's doing today. And I'm not going to stay in bed because of how I feel. I'm going to get up. I'm going to stand in this hope I have. And when I do that, guys, I might not feel joy and peace, but when I choose to do what I know is right, that joy, that peace comes. And sometimes, guys, we first need to take that first step to take that stand before the feelings might come. But even when I don't have the feelings of joy and peace, I know in truth I have it. Man, Lord, I feel like I'm blowing it. I'm down. I feel like I'm a wreck. But the truth is, this is who I am in you. (laughs) This is my identity as a Christian in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to stand in this truth. Even though I don't feel at peace right now with you, (laughs) I know that you are peace, the Prince of Peace, and I do have peace with you. And I'm going to choose to live in that truth. And when we choose to make those choices, biblical choices, based not on feelings but truth, those feelings will come, guys. So I want to encourage you guys, stand. Take that step. Do what God's asking you to do. Because our hope in him, it is firm. It is confident. Also, guys, um, being glad is a decision of my will. It's not an expression of my emotions. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you guys glad we have the Spirit, a helper? Because you guys might be like, ooh, yeah, preach me free, pastor. Tell me the truth. Man, it's nothing. We can't do it. I mean, you can have the best, you know, self-help book on, you know, your shelf that you've read over and over again, or you just listen to a very passionate, motivating speaker, very articulate, fired you up a little bit. But let me tell you what, guys, it's the Holy Spirit that is going to help us as believers. It is God himself that is our help. Aren't you guys glad that he is there? I sure am. Sure am. So Jesus and Paul placed a very high premium on unity. Are you guys seeing this? You've read the Gospels. We're studying Paul's letter here to the Romans. Unity is a pretty big deal to them. So my question to you as your pastor is a big deal to you. It needs to be because we need to be on the same page here, okay? We are the body of Christ, and we are to care about this. So will you work towards making Jesus' prayer for unity come true? I sure hope so. So the order Paul laid out for for us here, we believe in Christ, in verse 12, in him, 
then we experience fullness of joy, and then new experience of fullness of peace, and then we abound in hope. And one of the great hopes that we have, guys, is to believe in him. So have you believed in Jesus? And if not, will you believe upon him right now? I sure hope so. He alone can save you guys. Now, when we have this great hope in Jesus, okay, when we're born again in the Spirit of God, you guys know that we get to be competent in our Christianity. That's where Paul takes us in verse 14. Now I myself, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Ilicarum I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named least I should build on another man's foundation but as it is written to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. So I love this because there's three areas that Paul lays out right away for us when it comes to competence. One, we have uh, full of goodness, right? So not an occasional victorious act, but this is a goodness. Plentiful supply, okay? So it means moral excellence, purity, kindness, uprightness, honesty, good deeds. So how will you know if you're full of goodness? Well, believers, I think, are like a sponge, okay? What happens when you squeeze a sponge? Stuff comes out. You're going to find out real quickly what's inside that sponge. So when you get squeezed a little bit in life, what's coming out? You're going to be able to tell. Um. The next one is being filled with all knowledge, okay? A hyperbole here. Um, Of course, they didn't know all things, right? But the implication here is that the Romans had this firm grasp on the teachings that were required really to live out our Christian duties. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. So when it comes to biblical knowledge, it isn't just, hey, I'm going to gain more information, okay? And it's good to study the word of God. You guys come here because, hey, we're going to get into God's word. I'm going to learn a lot of stuff. Great. But is it going to hit our hearts? Is it actually going to change our lives? Are we being transformed by it? Okay? Because we are to be growing as believers. Okay? In love and understanding. Okay? To God and to our fellow man. That's what we're called to. Um. It's also able to admonish one another, okay, to set things right. So ever try to tell someone that they're wrong, okay, and that they need to change? Those are hard conversations. You say one wrong word, 
<laughs> right? It's over. It's done. So in a situation, we need to correct the mind, okay, to put right what is wrong and to prove a spiritual attitude. So still, how do we do this? Well, to affect or influence fellow believers towards growth and change, we must engage them in a loving relationship, okay? We need to do that. And it's hard because we can't make people engage in relationship, but we keep moving towards them, okay? That's our job. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, okay? And I think when we have relationship with people and they know they really care for us, that they really love us, it's a little easier to receive a hard word from them, isn't it? Okay? So, haven't our most painful experiences been when we've had a problem and no one loved us enough to tell us about it? We need to be speaking into each other's lives. Okay? And I welcome that. I know I have blind spots in life. I've been with me long enough to know. <laughs> I don't always see everything clearly. But aren't you thankful when somebody comes and shares, like, hey, bro, <laughs> you know, you, you might not see this, you might not get this, but this is what I see. And you're like, you know what? <laughs> My head never even went there once, and you're absolutely right. That is true. I do need to consider that. I do need to change something to make that right. A couple more areas of competence, guys. In verses 15 and 16, we're all ministers. Think about that. Does anybody know what minister means in the Greek? Servant. Servant. Well, you're the minister. Well, if I'm the minister, then I'm going to be the servant. But we're all called to minister, aren't we? We're all called to ministry. So, if we admonish one another, okay, um, we're going to be in that place of, hey, <laughs> let's serve well. Let's do our parts. So, some are called to the vocation, maybe, say, as a missionary, a pastor. There's a lot of parachurch ministries. There's Christian schools out there. People serve at churches. Um, but there are also those who are called to be tent makers, okay? They witness uh, for Jesus, you know, just as they're living, going about their work, their job in non-religious professions. So no vocation, guys, is more holy than another. Do you guys know that? Okay? A missionary is no more pleasing to God than, say, a maid. Okay? And a pastor is no more spiritual than a plumber. We got to understand and see things what, the way God sees things, okay? We need to have a right perspective when it comes to calling in ministry. And ultimately, God, I, guys, whatever God's asking you to do, you just need to be obedient to it. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Is there things God's called you guys to or what are you talking about, Lord? <laughs> but you step out in obedience, okay, I'm going for it. And once you step into it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is what you're doing because I'm not even supposed to be here because I know me and my giftings and I can't even do this. But you have me here because you're wanting to do this. And all I can do is be a vessel for you to work through. 
So wherever God's called you guys, be obedient, do it unto him. And then the offering, okay, spoken of here, the figure here is really coming back to that Old Testament sacrificing, okay? Here Paul uses it in reference to his own work in bringing Gentiles to God as an offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So if you yield to the Spirit's power, you're going to become morally good. By studying and applying the scriptures, we can raise our level of knowledge. And by admonishing one another, guys, we can preserve the integrity of the body of Christ. So by obeying and then following our callings, we can participate in God's plan and thus become an offering unto God. So are you fulfilling God's calling on your life? Well, how do I know if I am, Pastor? You guys want to take a quick test? Here we go. Are you having a positive influence for God in the lives of others? I think that's the biggie. You could also ask, hey, in your service, does it give you pleasure? Do you guys know that scrubbing a toilet can be a pleasurable thing if you're doing it with the right heart and you've been called to serve the Lord? Man, I'm serving you today, Lord. You moms who get to stay home with your kids, I know it's a lot of work. But if you're doing it unto the Lord, guess what? That's beautiful. That is wonderful. Okay? You guys who have to go to work and do those swing shifts, middle of the night, it stinks, you know? No, this is where God's called me. Do I have pleasure at running the machine at 2 o'clock in the morning? If you're doing it out of obedience unto the Lord, you're going to find pleasure in that. So you also find yourself being passionate about your area of service, okay? Like I walked down this last week, that picture I threw up of Gina with all those little boxes, I went downstairs, it's all organized and set out and prepped and ready to go for the kids. And I'm just like, yep, she takes pleasure in what she's, she's called just to love our kids. A lot of you guys are teaching and loving our kids, praying for them throughout the week. That's awesome. We have youth group tonight. We got a faithful crew of youth leaders just faithfully serving the Lord where God's called them. You know, we just do what God's asked us to do. Um, Also, are you making a difference, okay? Um, Your calling, is it making a difference in your life? Do you feel uh, discontented or drained or ineffective? I think those are good things to see, you know, am I in the will of God? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do, okay? Okay. Anyways, let's move on. Paul's preaching plans, 17 to 21. He's doing it for the glory of God, right? Not his own, okay? He takes no credit. This is one thing I love about Paul's ministry. It's not, hey, look at me, okay? The extent of his ministry and all the places it went, it wasn't how great he was, but really the obedience of the Gentiles, the signs and wonders that accompanied his ministry, uh, nor the power of the Holy Spirit here, you know, upon him. It wasn't what he had done, but what God was doing through him. You guys see that? Apostle Paul's my hero. Some of you guys know that. I love the Apostle Paul, but I also get his humility. I think that's part of the reason why I like him so much. He was just a man that was willing to be used, okay? So Paul could say, hey, it's God's grace, okay? That was my source. Christ Jesus was my motivation. The Holy Spirit was the power to accomplish it. And then roundabout in verse 9 here, guys, is travel, okay? This, this complete circle, this circle of nations. You guys know that Paul was a missionary. 
He was going out to evangelize there around the Mediterranean. And while what takes 10 seconds for him to say actually took 10 years to play out, <laughs> okay? Um, verse 20, to go where no man has gone before, right? Paul has this ambition. Hey, I want to go and I want to preach the gospel um, in these pioneer areas where they had never heard. So in missions, guys, uh, that's really the same heart, isn't it? Who hasn't heard the gospel? Where can I go, okay, that they can hear these unreached people groups? The need is everywhere, guys, uh, but something else to consider is availability or the access to go. So in some areas of the world, guys, it's readily accessible, but there's others, you know, they don't have churches. There's no Bibles allowed in that country. (laughs) I mean, the reality is there's many who have never even heard the name of Jesus, All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 22, Paul says, For this reason, I have been much hindered from coming to you. Okay, again, he's writing to the Romans, coming to you who are in Rome. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way by or there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those in Macedonia, or sorry, Macedonia and Acacia to make certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem, and it pleased them indeed. And they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them Immaterial things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by the way or of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. So here are Paul's travel plans, right? This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and, you know, it would be just as sensitive, you know, um, to God's leading. Paul was very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. This is where he is taking me, okay? Whatever my you know, plans are, I'm open, I'm flexible, okay? God gets to call the shots. But let's not romanticize the journeys of Paul, okay? Um, he's sailing from Corinth soon, okay, um, to get to Jerusalem, and he planned to travel to Rome and then to Spain. And you guys know that back then travel was pretty risky, Okay, even if he just was doing this all by boat, sailing, you know, the first leg would be 800 uh, miles, then 700, and then um, 1,500 on the back. So over 3,000 miles of traveling by, and these, these sweet cruisers don't have all-night buffets either, okay? <laughs> like, it, it was hard to sail back then. Um, but it all comes to relationships, and that's what I love as Paul closes chapter 15 and verses 22 to 24. Um, I think we never forget that. It's about the people. It's about relationships, okay? So in verse 24, here, Paul disclosed his desire for evangelization of uh, España, of Spain, right? He hints to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, the regions beyond you, which if you go to Rome, what's beyond Rome? Well, hey, Spain's over there, right? So we are actually not sure if he actually made it or not. 
okay? Uh, there's non-canonical readings out there that indicate that he actually did, but we have the book of Acts where Dr. Luke details all of Paul's missions. I love reading through all those mission trips he took. Um, but anyways, he ended up uh, getting rearrested there in Rome, incarcerated and beheaded by Nero. So we don't really know if he made it or not. But the second part of verse 24 here is a biblical backup for really writing a letter of support. So Paul writes for his mission west there. So, hmm, you know, I guess it's okay to let people know that, hey, there's a need for the furtherance of the gospel, okay? God's putting on your heart, hey, I'm going on the mission field or taking a mission trip. Write a letter. Hey, church, brothers and sisters, I'm going. I need help to make it happen, okay? I see it in the scriptures here. Uh, verses 25 to 27 uh, this would be a biblical backup for raising funds for these international uh, mission needs that are out there. He talks about Macedonia and Acacia. There were two whole regions, okay? Not just two churches that were there, huge areas. And believers there gave generously and joyfully. I want to thank you guys for how generous you guys are. And God loves the cheerful giver, okay? When we give to the Lord, it should come from a place of joy, not like, oh, bummer, what could I have bought for myself instead, okay? God loves the cheerful giver, so it should be a joy. I think these guys are a great example of that. And then Proverbs 3, 9, and verse 10, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. All right. Verse 30, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to all the saints that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and that I may be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You guys know how important prayer is for us as believers? Okay? I just want to close thinking on this with you guys. Interse verse 30 here. Intercessory prayer is huge. So important. So why is asking prayer so difficult? You guys ever wonder that? It's because of our pride, Right? Pride, I got it together, I'm okay, I don't need to ask. You see, our upbringing has taught most of us, hey, figure it out, handle your own problems, right? Prayer takes humility. Paul wasn't afraid to let others know his needs. Okay, ask for prayer. We have a lot of opportunities here at Freedom Fellowship for prayer gatherings, you know, but I wish more than two or three people would show up for some of those gatherings. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know about you guys, but we're in need. We need to be praying. And of course, guys, you know, Paul wasn't afraid to let his needs be known, and Jesus wasn't either, okay? You guys remember when he was in the garden, what he asked the disciples to do? <laughs> Pray, <laughs> right? We need prayer right now. So to reap the benefits of prayer, we need to open our hearts, admit our needs, and also trust others uh, are more than willing, really, to share in our burdens, okay? 
One of the coolest things for me as your pastor is I love when I get the text or the message, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? Absolutely. That's one of the joys (laughs) in ministry is to be praying. Um, So prayer for Paul was serious business, okay? So strive in prayers, guys. Um, Fight, contend alongside others, okay, that are going through it. The Greeks used this word to ascribe to athletes who are really pushing themselves to their limits, physically speaking, to exhaustion. That's the same way we ought to be praying, okay? And it also was used for soldiers, okay? Probably that's what Paul had in mind. Um, Kittle describes it this way. He says, in prayer, there is is fulfilled the fellowship of conflict and the destiny between man and man. In prayer, one man becomes a representative of the other so that there uh, that is here opened up the possibility of one standing in the breach for all and all for one. Has you heard that before? <laughs> Think about that. We get to do that in prayer. Okay? So we need to get involved in prayer. What would God do? If we prayed, what would he do if we really prayed? So let's be willing to pay the price to get involved. And the three prayer requests real quick, delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Okay, you guys remember when Paul was at uh, Philip the evangelist's house? Agabus took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet and said, thus is the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind a man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. So, whoa, prophetic word here, pray, okay? So if we get a prophetic word, we should be praying. So he had a good reason to be concerned, uh, but he didn't go without help. And also that the contribution for the poor would be received. Now, who was in Jerusalem? Jews, who were giving to the Jews who were in need. Gentiles. Could you guys see why maybe the Jews want to pride? <laughs> hey, be praying that that is received, okay? Um, also, that it would be God's will for him to get to Rome. And as you guys study through the books of Acts, you get into chapter 21 to the end, 28 there. Really, God answered these prayers. So prayer number one was answered. He was delivered um, from the unbelievers there in Judea. Uh, yes and no, okay, arrested, he was imprisoned there, but he was rescued from those three mobs that we read about, the floggings and the attempt on his life. Second prayer answered, okay, the contribution, okay, uh, for the poor was received, okay. Um, answer uh, that it would be God's will for them to get to Rome, okay. Yes, he promised there, we see in Acts twenty three eleven, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Jesus saying, hey, <laughs> you made it, buddy, there in Rome. So Paul seals up this chapter. Look at the last uh, verse here, okay? He ends this chapter with a kiss, verse 33. Um, our English word, goodbye, is a contraction of the phrase, God be with you. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Goodbye, God be with you. Similar, the the Spanish use adios, okay? What does that mean? To God, right? 
So wouldn't all our, you know, partings be easier if we use the full expression, all right? Now the God of peace be with you all. <laughs> wouldn't that be cool to say to one another as we left? So Father, we're thankful for your word. God, it's always good to be uh, in the scriptures together. God, we want to we wanna learn well. God, that we'd be able to love well. We thank you so much for the working of your Holy Spirit in and through us. God, I know that there are definitely times I'm about my own agenda. Lord, I, I resist yielding. I pray for forgiveness in that. I pray that you'd help us all, God, to just be in step with you wherever you're leading us, especially this next week. We love this time of year. Uh, we get to really share uh, the hope that we have in you, Jesus, with this world. God, and what a hope we do have. We thank you that is sure that your promises, all of them are yes and amen in you, Jesus. I do pray, Father, even when uh, we don't feel like standing, would you help all of us, Lord, to, uh, to stand fast, Lord, to keep trusting, Lord, holding uh, tightly to you and to your promises. God, and I do pray as a church family that you would stir us up, Lord, to be a people of, of praise and a people of prayer. God, your, your ways are so simple, but yet so profound. <laughs> and it's so good, Lord, when we just uh, humble ourselves and do it your way. God, I do want to pray, too, if there's any of us, Lord, that have an issue with someone else within the body here, may we work towards that reconciliation. God, we know that is your heart. Your heart is one of unity. God, and we want to play our part as a, a church family here and, and just our part with the, the greater church here in the Fox Valley. If there's ways that we can work together and unify with other believers in doing things for your glory, God, may you uh, establish that. May we be open to that and just have eyes to see what you're up to. So I do pray for these, my brothers and sisters, God. May you just be with them all, please. May your peace rest upon them just in a, a neat way over this Christmas uh, season. We pray in your name. Amen.